Welcome to the Complexity Premier Podcast. I'm your co-host, Ying Yan Cheng. And Ying Yi is joined by Christopher Joy. I'm a Portfolio Manager at Coolabar Capital Investments. Well, Happy New Year, Yingers. Very exciting. Obviously, we had the arrival of Baby River, possibly the cutest child in Sydney last year. Uh, we're very excited about 2023, and uh, we've come into 2023 with some pretty strong tailwinds, actually, which has been fascinating to watch. That's right, Chris. In fact, in December, Coolabar's portfolio generated robust excess returns as a function of ongoing mean reversion in historically elevated credit spreads across a spectrum of core assets, which was a continuation of a dynamic that has asserted in recent months as investors have come to recognise these material mispricings. Returns have also been powered by a dramatic increase in our portfolio's yields, or the weighted average internal rate of return on the bank and government bonds we hold, In our lowest risk cash enhanced strategies, for example, the annual yield to maturity has leapt from circa 1% per annum last year to over 5% per annum at the time that we're recording right now. Recall that Coolabar exited its credit hedges or shorts in mid-2022, which we introduced in late 2021, on the basis of our contrarian projections for a sustained widening in credit spreads triggered by a striking increase in both short- and long-term global interest rates in response to persistent inflation problems. Yeah, that's right, Ying. As back in December 2021, we argued that aggressive central bank tightening would precipitate major risk-off events across equities, government bonds, credit, crypto, and property, amongst other sectors. Having been really quite negative on our own asset class for much of 2021 and 2022, we started reacquiring bank bonds that have become historically very cheap in both spread and outright yield terms. Specifically, this process began in mid last year. And the motivation was really the very wide credit spreads coupled with much higher underlying cash rates or risk-free rates, which conspired to generate a very attractive all-in yields of 6 to 7% per annum, which had become available on some major bank bonds. This was the most attractive fixed income return offered by these explicitly and implicitly government-guaranteed banks in over a decade. Yes, Chris. Our portfolio's excess returns in December were especially encouraging given the significant challenges experienced by other sectors, including equities and fixed rate bonds. In the month, the S&P 500 index slumped 5.9%, while the NASDAQ Composite Index lost 8.7%. Even the comparatively resilient Australian equities market, as proxied by the Orwards Index, fell 3.5% in December. Yeah, and I think this risk-off mood in stocks was partly attributable to hawkish global central bank rhetoric that propagated a sharp increase in fixed-rate government bond yields, or the long-term risk-free interest rate. In Australia, the 10-year government bond yield jumped from 3.53% at the end of November to 4.05% by December or 30 December, specifically, 2022. In the US, the 10-year bond yield also climbed from 3.61% to 3.87% over the same period. Yes, Chris. Higher interest rates reduced the value of fixed rate as opposed to floating rate bonds, and this was reflected in the very poor performance of the benchmark Osborne Composite Bond Index, which only holds fixed rate securities. In December, the Composite Bond Index declined by a sizable 2.06% in total return terms, By way of comparison, the Oswan floating rate note index returned a healthy 0.34%. Now, bear in mind that almost all of Coolabar's strategies have been designed as floating rate or zero interest rate duration solutions to outperform fixed rate bonds or long duration strategies during periods in which interest rates are rising. 
since 2011, we have held the view that the post-GFC epoch would ultimately conclude in a very strong inflation cycle attributable to excessively easy fiscal and monetary policy that would need to be unwound by an acute tightening of monetary conditions, a much higher rate. In December, Coolabar's lowest risk RBA cash plus 1.5% strategy, called the Smarter Money Higher Income Fund, returned 0.68% gross or 0.63% net, which followed similarly robust returns in November. Note that this fund holds bonds with a weighted average credit rating of A+, has a yield to maturity of 5.3% per annum, which is up from only around 1% a year ago, as mentioned earlier, and carries little to no interest rate duration risk. At the higher risk end of the spectrum, Coolabar's long short credit fund returned 1.7% gross or 1.62% net in December, extending November's even stronger returns. This fund holds bonds with a weighted average credit rating of AA minus, has an annual yield to maturity of 10.1%, which is up from 2 to 3% last year, and carries near zero years interest rate duration risk, although it can use repurchase agreements to enhance returns. On the 5th of December last year, we also launched a new strategy called the Coolabar Floating Rate High Yield Fund, which has an average A credit rating and a target yield to maturity in excess of 10% per annum. Notwithstanding the partial month, Coolabar's Floating Rate High Yield Fund returned a healthy 1.03% gross or 0.96% net in December. Our sole long-duration or fixed-rate strategy called the Active Composite Bond Fund, which carries more than five years of fixed-rate interest rate duration risk, outperformed the Cosbond Composite Bond Index by 0.82% gross or 0.79% net in December, as it did in November. And yes, he is, of course, past performance does not show future returns, and please uh, review the PDS to understand the risks. Now, moving swiftly on... As a value-based quantum mental investor, we are constantly searching for new bond mispricings, which means finding assets that are paying excessively high credit spreads after adjusting for their risk profile. For example, the credit rating of the bond, its term to maturity, liquidity, its position in the capital structure, and so on. As these bonds may revert via credit spread compression to our quantitative fair value targets, we earn capital gains all else being equal. This in turn means we can generate total returns that are not purely a function of chasing risk or yield or beta. That's right, Chris. Coolabar's proprietary constant maturity index that tracks the credit spreads on five-year major bank senior bonds tightened from 110 basis points to 103 basis points over the quarterly bank bill swap rate, also known as BBSW in December. These senior bond spreads remain well wide of their post-Basel III average spread level of about 79 basis points over BBSW, as we've argued that they should do since APRO closed the bank's committed liquidity facility. And note that you can see our research predicting this would happen over at Livewire. One step down the capital structure, five-year major bank T2 bond spreads compressed from 245 basis points to 234 basis points over BBSW in December, after they had moved as wide as 280 basis points in 2022. These T2 bond spreads look especially attractive compared to major bank additional T1 capital or AT1 hybrids, which sit below T2 in the capital structure have a lower credit rating, and generally expose investors to much higher probabilities of loss. T2 spreads remain miles above their long-run post-Basel 3 average, around 189 basis points over BBSW as well. In December, five-year major bank hybrid spreads contracted conspicuously from 279 basis points to 227 basis points, notably inside safer T2 spreads from the same issuer with the same maturity, 
which must be a global first of sorts. We don't expect this mispricing to last very long though, Chris, especially considering hybrid spreads are a lot skinnier than the post Basel III average for a five-year major bank security of 346 basis points. Note that these hybrids normally pay about 1.8 to two times the spread offered on maturity matched T2 bonds. In the state government bond or semis market, spreads over Commonwealth bonds were broadly stable over the month and currently sit around 72 basis points for a 10-year New South Wales government security. This is more than double the average New South Wales 10-year spread over Commonwealth bonds, which is typically traded around 33 basis points since APRA introduced its Basel III liquidity coverage ratio or LCR rules, requiring banks to hold both state and Commonwealth bonds as a high-quality liquid asset, also known as HQLA, that can be transferred to the central bank during a funding crisis. Despite the advent of both a new RBA bond purchase program, under which the central bank bought $56 billion of semis between 2020 and 2022, and Kulabar also unearthing the fact that Aussie banks need to buy between $300 and $500 billion of semis and Commonwealth bonds for regulatory liquidity needs, Semi-spreads remain much higher than both their long-term average trading levels and the stress marks observed during dislocated periods, such as March 2020, when 10-year New South Wales spreads averaged about 60 basis points over Commonwealth bonds. Note that it's worth highlighting that Aussie banks already own circa 55% of the circa $500 billion semis market. Yeah, yes, and I think um, arguably the single best performing liquid asset class uh, in 2022 was, surprise, surprise, cash and highly rated floating rate bonds, which outperformed anything that was being accurately marked to market. A liquid investment such as private equity or private credit might have reported superficially superior returns simply because their required returns are not being accurately revalued against liquid equivalents. Put more simply, if it doesn't trade, it's very hard to revalue it. Whereas the fixed rate composite bond index lost an incredible 9.71% in 2022, its floating rate sibling, the Osborne floating rate note index, gained 1.28%, just pipping the return on the RBA's cash rate, which was 1.22%. The catalyst was the unprecedented increase in both overnight cash rates and long-term expectations for the path of those central bank rates as proxied by government bond yields. Back in December 21, the Aussie and US 10-year government bond yields sat at 1.67% and 1.51% respectively. Yet by the end of 2022, they shot up to 4.05% and 3.87%. The sharply high cost of risk-free capital hammered US equities in 2022. The S&P 500 lost 19.7% in price terms, while the Nasdaq Composite Index plunged 33% on the same basis. With the help of the pandemic-buoyed commodities complex, Aussie shares outperformed. The All Odds Index shed only 7.2%. This was, of course, small beer relative to the plight of Ponzi-like cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin finished 2022 at about $16,500 in US dollar terms, some 76% down from its $67,000 peak in November 2021, as we had repeatedly flagged was risk in late 2021 and in January 2022. Investment-grade credit spreads were not spared. At the end of 2021, five-year major bank senior and T2 bond spreads were trading close to their post-GFC tights, around 27 basis points and 140 basis points over BBSW, respectively. We sold all of our bank senior paper in early 2021, and the second half of that year and the first half of 2022 were actively shorting bank credit spreads globally. As senior and T2 spreads inevitably normalized higher, they would record intra-year peaks of circa 123 basis points and 280 basis points over BBSW. Accordingly, five-year major bank senior and T2 bond spreads would move about 100 basis points and 140 basis points respectively, higher over the course of 2022, eventually making them very attractive acquisition targets. 
They finished the year at 103 basis points and 234 basis points over BBSW, which are historically attractive levels. In 2022, Aussie home values thumped by their largest margins since CoreLogic started collecting data on the five biggest capital cities in 1980. On a peak to trough basis, the five capital city index lost 8.8% in 2022. In calendar year terms, it fell 7.1%, besting the previous calendar year record set during the GFC in 2008. This has been driven by a record increase in the cost of borrowing to buy a home, which has leapt from about 2.4% per annum in April 2022, prior to the first RBA rate hike in May, to around 5.3% per annum today. Since May 2022, the RBA has lifted its target cash rate by 300 basis points, which is unprecedented in the modern inflation targeting period that began in the early 1990s. As a result of the huge jump in mortgage rates, the purchasing power of new home buyers has been slashed by roughly one-third. As we have previously explained, other influences on house prices such as robust population growth, risk wage growth, and a striking fall in new building approvals will have very little impact on residential valuations in the short term as the enormous shifts in interest rates and purchasing power absolutely dominate the price discovery process. And this has indeed been the way things have played out since the great Aussie housing correction commenced at exactly the same time Martin Place started lifting rates in May 22. That's right, Chris. In fact, the monthly pace of house price depreciation remained extremely rapid in December 2022, with the five-city index losing another 1.2%, led by Sydney, which was down 1.4%, Brisbane, which was down 1.4%, and Melbourne, which was down 1.2%. The most resilient conurbations remain, unsurprisingly, in relatively cheap areas like Adelaide, which lost only 0.4% in December and Perth, which actually ground out a small capital gain of 0.1% in the month. On a peak-to-trough basis, dwelling values in Sydney declined the most. They declined by 12.8% in 2022, followed by Brisbane, which was down 9.5%, the five-capital city index, which was down 8.8%, and Melbourne, which was down 8.3%. In comparison, Adelaide fell by only 1.6%, and Perth was only down by 0.7%, and they suffered, as I mentioned, very modest moves. With the RBA signalling that it wants to lift its 3.1% cash rate further in 2023 to around 3.5%, Aussie housing is on track to cheapen by a total of 15 to 25% from its peak, which is consistent with our original forecast outlined in October 2021. We've had no reason to adjust our views since that time. Yeah, in closing years, I think uh, 2022 is the year of the great regime change or inflection point. Call it what you will. The search for yield is dead because lofty risk-free interest rates on cash and cash-like investments are suddenly plentiful. I mean, why buy a Sydney or Melbourne apartment yielding 4% before hefty transaction and maintenance costs when term deposits offer a superior rate of return? After decades of disinflation, ultra-low rates, never-ending money printing, aka quantitative easing, we finally belatedly welcomed the inflation crisis that was the predictable consequence of myopic politicians and policymakers hedonistically pouring cash on every problem that ever presented itself. After all, if cash is costless, you can spend unlimited amounts. When inflation was never a binding constraint, you could cut interest rates to zero or even negative levels, run massive budget deficits that were very cheap to fund, and then have your central bank print hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars of fresh moolah to bid up the value of all asset classes by slashing discount rates to record lows. Remember the low rates for long paradigm? It's gone the way of the dodo yingers. I recall an incredibly talented interest rate trader at a US investment bank telling us that he would never see an interest rate increase from the RBA during his lifetime. The absence of a decent risk-free rate of return rationalized the proliferation of numerous high-yielding and often more liquid income solutions in equities, property, and fixed income. And the illiquidity was appealing precisely because it concealed the much greater underlying risks. That party is now over. All investments need to offer attractive risk premiums over 4 to 5% cash rates and government bond yields. Some sectors like the liquid equities and bond markets have adjusted immediately. 
more liquid areas like housing, commercial property, private equity, venture capital, and the high yield loan space could take years before they fully reprice. Concurrently, investors will discover the price of that illiquidity, which will be bought out by, among other things, a withering default cycle. Even in listed equities, there is a case that cyclically adjusted price earnings multiples are still far too high and not fully pricing in the global recession that is bound to come. To be sure, equities have luckily adjusted to the change in discount rates. It is, however, unlikely that they are reflecting the retrenchment in future earnings growth. For the time being, anything that promised growth is basically dead. And this is taking with it the pandemic meme trades of tech, crypto, fintech, and the entitled attitudes of millennials who are conditioned to being always able to find well-paying jobs. When cash paid you no return at all or a negative return, Spruikers could push digital currencies such as Bitcoin as an alternative on the basis that it was a great inflation hedge, a safe store of wealth, a portfolio diversifier against other assets such as equities, and a medium of exchange for buying and selling stuff. Of course, Bitcoin has proven to be none of these things. All these claims were bogus, and most, if not all, cryptocurrencies will end up being zeros. In late 2021 and January 22, we laid out some core hypotheses regarding what the future might hold for a range of asset classes. Our key proposition was that persistently stubborn inflation pressures would force the US Federal Reserve to lift its cash rate to multiples of the very modest 1% high watermark that was being priced by bond markets in December 21. This would in turn push US 10-year government bond yields beyond 3.2%. And we argued that the big jump in discount rates would force US equities down by at least 30%, trigger a US recession, precipitate a massive crypto crash, have a fixed rate rather than floating rate bond prices as yields soared, and push investment-grade credit spreads at least 100 basis points wider. In October 2021, we also projected a record 15 to 25% house price drawdown after the RBA commenced raising rates in mid-22. We were pretty much negative on everything. All these things have come to pass or appear quite likely to do so. The outstanding questions are whether we get a US recession, which our modeling implies is highly probable, and the magnitude of the great Aussie housing crash. Perhaps the more interesting issue is what surprised in 2022. Our biggest miss was not anticipating that high inflation would become a cost of living crisis that would transform preternaturally dovish politicians that always want cheaper money into interest rate hawks. This opened the door for the inflation-fighting zealots inside the central banks to raise rates with unprecedented speed and global synchronicity. We thought the politicians would throw sand in the wheels of interest rate increases, slowing down the central banks. Instead, they became an accelerant. Although this is unlikely to last as the cost of much higher interest rates via job losses becomes much more visceral in 2023. That's right, Chris. And our main conviction for 2023 is that the economic and financial impact of the interest rate shock will be worse than people think. Central banks are implacably committed to engineering the slowdowns required to crush the strongest consumer price pressures in 40 years. This means job losses, defaults, corporate closures, and much weaker wage growth. It also means the death of the hordes of predominantly real estate and tech, zombie businesses that have thrived on the availability of cheap credit for decades without actually having the earnings to service their debts. We have previously highlighted the sobering RBA analysis that shows that 15% of all borrowers could end up with negative disposable income if the RBA lifts the cash rate to 3.6%, which is not far from its current 3.1% mark. While it is all but certain that central banks will have to reverse course at some point in 2023 or 2024, cash rates are likely to remain structurally higher than they have in the post-GFC period. This is because the experiment with zero rates and QE to infinity is dead for the time being. Central bankers have been badly scarred by completely missing the corollary of their cheap money policies, as have politicians who have for years run profligate spending programs in the name of bribing punters to keep their sorry behinds in power. Crucially for investors, this means that all asset prices need to adjust permanently lower to reflect higher interest rates on cash. 
And it means that investors should not expect the brilliant bounce in asset prices that they became accustomed to seeing in the post-GFC period. Future asset price growth may be dictated more by sluggish income growth than interest rates simply because the option of cutting rates to zero and printing money to bid up the value of everything has been taken away from central bankers by this inflation crisis. And you know what? The world may never look the same. We're going to have to rewire the neurology of both business and the capital markets that fund them to account for a permanently higher cost of capital, which in turn reflects the lurking presence of inflation risk that investors, politicians and policymakers had simply assumed did not exist. Our best advice is to continuously remind yourself that the last 30 years of data could be a bumps year for this new reality. We are going through a structural break, a fundamental shift in the way things work, In some ways, this definitionally makes the future even harder to predict because we cannot rely on the empirical experience of decades past. And that's a wrap, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to our first episode for 2023. Wishing you all a fantastic new year again, and please enjoy the week ahead. This podcast does not provide financial advice. It is not an invitation to invest in any financial product and the information in it should not be relied on for any decisions. All views expressed represent the personal opinions of the speaker and do not represent the view of any other party. If this recording contains reference to any financial products, that reference does not constitute advice or a recommendation and should not be relied upon. Listeners in Australia are encouraged to visit the moneysmart.gov.au website to obtain information regarding financial advice and investments.